0: Way to connect different paths together.
1: Hundred percent.
0: You guys can both still do your. I know Jordan I know you, but um, Andrew, you've still been able to practice in this time.
2: Um, not in stage four, man. Um, We got an email. Huh. At the start of stage four, pretty much outlining um, osteos and chiros, or anybody who's affiliated with APRA, can only see patients. That are a medical emergency, so the equivalent of like a hospital grade emergency. So pretty much, yeah, unless unless you can only go to a hospital for your injury, injury, there's no you can't come to us. So we can't see routine back pain, neck pain, shoulder really? pain. No, it, yeah, we can't see patients who are just like in in care with like rehab. Like just it's not permitted, yeah. which is bullshit. But and apparently, the breach of these uh, rules, it's a hundred thousand dollar fine for the business, eee. and it's a twenty thousand dollar fine for the practitioner. So, if the practitioner owns the business, it's a hundred twenty thousand dollar fine for that person.
0: Yep, and that's heavy consequences, right? Yes. But Jordan, um, you as a physiotherapist have been, I know that. They haven't said anything to you guys?
1: Had been as in what? I lost reception there, so I cut out a little bit. Oh, good.
0: You've you, I know you've been able to still do your physiotherapy sessions.
1: Still able to do physio, phys, uh, physiotherapy sessions, but cut back a lot oh, as yeah? in I'm only seeing certain people now and not as often um, Got it. just because of all the guidelines that have come in. It's super gray. Which makes it very difficult to know what you can and can't do, but we've had to back off quite a lot to only do, I guess, important or more essential type services.
0: Oh, I see. So it's a category like of, you know, you can only see a certain type of or critical level of patient for like that they're that they're at in their in yeah. their Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Jordan, did you did you get a similar a similar email to what I just said
1: before? I heard what? the end of what you said, and I think I've got I got something pretty similar. Yeah. Um, but again, it's it's hard to know exactly where to go from there after because the way that I I guess think is going to be different to how you think is going to be different to how someone else thinks it's going to be different to some the next practitioner thinks. So yep. I think it's still very subjective, but. At the same time, we've got to be quite smart in who we are seeing and the people that aren't going to deteriorate over these next six weeks um, will have to uh, stay at home and just not do as much. The hardest thing I find with what I do, because I see a lot of ACLs, is trying to find out where I can go with that. Because I know that for a lot of them, I see I've had to cut out because they're not going to deteriorate, but those early to middle stages, not, not maybe strength-wise, they're not going to deteriorate, but mentally, they're going to start to challenge themselves. The, the pain levels are going to come back. They're not going to know exactly why this pain's happening, or blah blah blah. So, I think it's not only the rehab side, but it's the education side as well. 100 uh, that needs to come in, and and I guess that's where some telehealth and stuff like that can really uh, play a, an enormous role as
2: well. Mm. Yeah, fair enough, fair cool. I know a few, quite a few practitioners are still doing telehealth stuff. Um, yeah. I know a lot have shut shop until mm. stage three um kicks back in. Yeah. Um I actually know quite a few who are just ignoring everything and they're still yeah. seeing twenty plus people a day. Yeah. Huh. And I heard a rumour that one one uh one profession already is under investigation for breach of rules. So that could be up uh, for the hundred thousand dollar fine.
1: Mm.
2: So I don't know, man. I mean, I don't know if if they've got a hundred grand to throw away like what water, they go for But you know, what I
0: mean? well, Jordan, you brought up like that's interesting. I didn't know the details, and I think that's important because um, my understanding was incorrect. And you guys don't have full as allied health professionals, you don't have full uh, access to your to your patients and clients. So you talked about ACLs and like the challenge of managing um, not so much the physical but the mental. So I wonder how do you both deal with that component where you, you're you not seeing your patients as much and your clients as much and you're having to adjust the physical and the mental. How do you adapt to that?
1: I think it's just really good communication. If you can have really good communication with your clients, if that's via uh, telehealth, if that's via uh, email, if that's via text or call and just talk to them about exactly what's going on, pretty much empower them Um, so they can do a lot of these things. Um, it makes it a lot easier, but when there is no communication and they don't know exactly what's going on, that's when they kind of second guess themselves and they don't know, uh, if they're doing the right thing, if they're doing the wrong thing, what this little niggle is, what this pain behind the knee is stuff like that, they start to really second guess themselves and then they can go down a dark hole if that keeps going without any good
2: communication. 100%, 100%. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, the pain. That pain education is a very, very big component um, to what we do as uh, as allied health professionals. Um, and and hundred percent, man. Like everything that you were saying, like they get one little niggle here and there and they think the worst. So, yeah, and it's very so- important to educate them on that stuff.
1: Yeah, and it's just us just saying a couple words. Like, yeah, that's fine. We see that quite a lot. Uh, just keep doing what you're doing and leave it at that. You don't need to get too in depth for anything, but people just want that reassurance. Yeah, and again, all we do as allied health professionals really is empower people.
0: That's that's so important. The, the points you guys made. How do you how are you managing your communication now? Like like for me, like you would have seen because we work pretty closely together. You see, uh, you know, some coaches might have things like check-ins. Something some coaches like my coach. He has like a weekly call check-in, right? Where he's I'm on the phone with him every week. How do you guys manage that communication is it as simple as a text every week you'll send is it an email like is it an app you use what are you guys doing
2: well with with me because i'm a strength coach as well yeah um i still communicate with my clients through instagram messenger um but i don't know when it comes to that sort of stuff man honestly like online online stuff i'm a bit thingy about that like especially now with lockdown it's like the people, most people are not gonna have the equipment at home that they would the gym. So it's like very hard to write a program that's the equivalent to what they will be doing in our sessions or at the gym, all right? So for me now, I'm just giving the advice and the education of just keep moving, just do what you can for now, you know, giving them a few tips and tricks here to how to maintain some sort of strength and endurance through this time. But in terms of like, you know, writing specific programs and everything, it's just too hard because I haven't got the facilities around it. And in terms of my patients, well, it's a bit, that that is also tricky because there's that, um, you can't really communicate with patients outside of your work hours. There's a bit of a bit of gray area there in terms of how much communication there should be. Sorry? What do you mean you can't? So like, there's there's confidentiality sort of barriers, so like it's a bit unless the patient is your friend. Like, but does if, the
0: patient yeah, have to be like yours yourself? It can't be from the, another clinic.
2: Is that what you mean? Like, it's just like how can I how can I explain this? Um, so like. Let's just say, for example, you're a business, right? Let's just say you're, let's just say you, you, you work, you own an office, for example, right? The the working office hours are between nine to five, right? The person can contact you between those hours, but then everything after those hours, the person shouldn't be contacting you. That's the kind of gray area that's around that. So like if my patients are contacting me after the hours that I see them, unless it's an absolute medical emergency, then Okay, I can I can reply or I can talk to them, but we've been taught through our studies and everything that we cannot be communicating with our patients outside of the consult because it's like, for example, you know, what if what if they message you and say, "Oh, I've got back pain. What mm-hmm. shall I do?" Yeah, and then you say, "Okay, well, do this and see how you go," and then. You make it worse over the phone. They could potentially sue you because of that, but it wasn't an actual consult. Mm. You know what I mean. So it has Whereas to be under the
0: under the banner of a consult where there's money being exchanged and it's within a business.
2: Yeah, hundred percent. Whereas if they've if they've come in to see you, and you guys go through the proper consult and the proper procedures, if you make it worse, well, you've just you've just given the advice and the treatment based on your knowledge of the presenting case.
0: Okay. Is that same for you, Jordan, as a physio? I mean, you guys are both coaches, actually, which is great because you guys come from an umbrella. Sorry to interrupt, but I think the the point I'm trying to make is that I think you guys could probably attack those other areas that are more limited in the allied health professional with the strength coach approach.
1: Definitely. Definitely. Well, the way if we talk about kind of that communication side again, the way that I do it quite differently with my normal, let's say uh, physio clients that I see at my physio clinic that I work at, uh, exact same as what Andrew says, what, when they're in the consultation with myself, we do what we need to do. Mm. After that, there's not too much communication. And if it is, it's normally through my practice manager or something like that. However, on the other side, in the strength and conditioning gym, um, there's a little bit more after hours that if someone needs me, I will communicate with them, especially because 99% of these people are ACLs. So I like to stay in a lot of contact yeah. with uh, with this side um, because they're always going to have questions. They're always going to, um, they're always going to, yeah, they're always going to ask something. So it's, it's not saying too much in the, in that time when you're not with them, but just give them a little heads up of stuff that they need to do need to stay on top of and just have that constant communication, uh, and then when I'm with them in the clinic or in the gym, that's where we have those big conversations and stuff starts to get rolling um, and pretty much go from there. So it's kind of I do a little bit different to what I do on my physio side to what I do on the strength coach side.
2: Okay. 100% Jordan, I'm exactly the same as you. And then, and then there's that bit of gray area where it's like, okay, well, what if your strength and conditioning client is also your physio or osteo client? And then it's like, well, if you're talking to them, if they're talking to you after hours as a strength and conditioning client, oh, hey, man, do you think I should be doing this on my recovery days? Then you say, yeah, yeah, do this, do that, blah, blah, blah. But then all of a sudden, they've got a physio-related question for you. And you're like, well, I mean, how can I kind of answer that and tie it in with with that other question? You know what I mean? It's a bit, it's, yeah.
1: Yeah, and hundred percent, and that's and that's where that communication of hey, we'll talk about that next session, uh, but in the meantime, keep doing this, keep doing that, and just stay on top of what you got.
2: Yeah, it's very, yeah, uh, it's very, um, Alex, it's very, uh, very thingy, very grey area. You got to be very careful sometimes, man. You know what I mean? I mean, there's always ways around things, but Jesus, the rules are ridiculous <laughs> sometimes.
0: Yeah, I mean. You can, you, can, you can see why they're input there. You know, yes, it's under the guise of like, yes, we don't want to malpractice outside of hours. We want to do it professionally. Yes, yes, yes. But you can see maybe the legislation is also set up in a way to maximize profits and business and, and do yep. it all under the banners of, of like, make sure there's always money being exchanged. Maybe that's not always the best effective way to get results for the human being and client. I mean, you guys may push back and challenge against that. I don't know.
2: Okay. Well, uh, yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. But think of it, think of this, right? So you're both, you're both PTs and coaches, right? Think of it this way. So, and again, I don't want this to sound like I'm money hungry or anything like that, which I'm not, but think of it this way, right? Let's say a client messages you and you give them the best piece of advice ever that could achieve all their goals through one text message. Now, that person could have been potentially paying you for 10 weeks straight and you can watch them progress and you can teach them properly. Or that one little piece of advice you've given them, all of a sudden you've lost 10 weeks worth of income. So, you know what I mean? There's two ways to look at that. <laughs> you
1: know? Yeah, yeah.
0: It's,
1: it's, it's very hard yeah. uh, because at the end of the day, It is a business. And myself, I don't think of anything I do right now as a business at all. I just do my thing. I really enjoy coaching. I really enjoy being a physio, but I don't think about the uh, business side at all. For example, I spend an hour with all my clients and only see a couple people a day, let's say six, eight people max a day. Mm. Whereas if I was super business related, I'd be seeing um, 20, 30, 40 people a day to really make the money. Um, you still got to make money. But I, I believe that if I can see that person for an hour and only see them once a, a fortnight at the moment or once every three weeks, they're still gonna um, get good care when they're with me. And then the rest of the side, I can put it online where I'm not really making any money, but they're still progressing. Yeah,
2: 100%, 100%. And, that, and, that'll, and that'll come back to you later on in terms of, hey, this person's fantastic. He doesn't spend just 20 minutes with you. He spends 45 minutes to an hour with you. He goes through assessment, case history, does his hands-on whatever, and he prescribes exercise rehab as well as giving you pain education and pain advice to reduce the rate of pain that you may be experiencing throughout the week. It's There's a big difference between that sort of stuff. And I know so many clinics, man, 15, and 20-minute appointments, in and out, crack, crack, see you later, who's next? Yeah. Hey, they're making a killing. Yeah. They, they, can, they can afford to buy the Mercs and the Beamers, but at the end of the day, it's like, well, are you getting the proper results from these people?
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. 100%. I'm with you there.
0: And that's that's a big disconnect. Um, But you can see that. Like, we we can see that so clearly now. Like, you know, those types of practices, I think, are getting um, weeded out more and more. Um, But, you know, we talked about, you know, you guys as strength coaches and as allied health professionals. How do you guys, and I've seen you, Jordan, do it. Um, Andrew, I haven't obviously been as familiar with you, but how do you both bridge that gap between the strength and conditioning world and the physio world? Because one is more early stage, more diagnostics, and one is like, great, preventative. We don't want this to happen again or as worse. How do you guys marry the two? Uh,
2: uh, Christian, are are we recording?
0: Yeah, yeah, of course.
2: We live, are we? Yeah. Oh, I didn't even know we were recording. I don't
0: even. Sometimes I don't even say because I just want to. I just want to talk.
2: Yeah, just, I'm just like, okay, well, it's cool a pass. I didn't even know who we started recording. Uh, yes, sir. Um, how do I bridge the gap? Um, all right. Well, the first thing is, so obviously, all the knowledge that I have through my through my previous studies, I try to implement it as much as I can. So when it comes to the coaching side, I talk. You know, when it comes to the coaching side, it's more about movement based. Exercise prescription. So how how can I teach this person to move correctly so the risk of injury reduces significantly? So they don't have to potentially go down the path of, I need to go see an osteo, chiro, physio two to three times a week. That's how I kind of bridge that gap. Educating the person, this is how we're moving. This is why we're moving like this. And this is how you can improve By doing these exercises in this formation if that makes sense Mm -hmm. that's how i kind of bridge that gap but when it comes to the osteo side of things well it's a bit bit different especially like in a clinic where i haven't got the setup of a gym i kind of try to get an idea of how the person's moving just by what they're telling me i might get them just to show me a couple things but try to get as much information from the case history and from the assessment as I can. But pretty much it's just using my anatomical knowledge and my background in terms of, okay, well, which muscles are weaker? Which areas are more restricted? What can I do for this person to get them moving better and to strengthen certain areas in order to reduce their risk of injury and for this to occur later on down the track? Does that kind of answer your question? Yeah, definitely. Definitely.
0: I mean, you you can clearly see how you um you look at both and and put them together. Um,
2: What about you, Jordan? But that's the Um, thing. Like you can't. Oh, go ahead. That's the thing. The big the a big part of what we do, and I know Jordan can back me up with this. A big part of a patient's management strategy is through resistance training and exercise prescription. Like, yeah, even though we know hands on manual therapy, it does work for a lot of people, but. In terms of long-term results, you need to implement some sort of exercise-based program for the person to reduce any risk of injury long-term. Yeah, definitely.
1: Definitely. I guess the way I go about it is, yeah, very similar. Andrew and I, it's quite easy for us because we're allied health professionals and we do strength work. So that connection there is super easy going from day one of injury all the way to return to sport or return to goals. But for a lot of people that only have either an allied health um, profession or just a strength coach or a PT, that disconnect is huge. That disconnect is huge. And it's. I think it's down to, I guess, trust sometimes. It's down to uh, maybe greed sometimes or, or just lack of communication um, that we've tried. To, we've got to bring them together and really integrate. And at, I guess at Woodford's it's quite easy for us because I work with, all the strength coaches. Yeah. So that communication is constant. I can get you to come into the room when I am yeah. treating one of your clients mm-hmm. and, and you'll know exactly what's going on from day one, rather than me trying to send you an email or yeah. trying to give you a call and I can't get onto you or the, the client doesn't remember what I said, stuff like that. I think that's super common. And that's why this middle section here needs to reduce and that integration model needs to happen a lot better but i think it's just if you're an allied health professional have a good strength coach around you if you're a strength coach have a good allied health professional around you close that gap a lot and everything just works it just works so easy and everyone just knows what's going on the athlete the coach the strength coach the allied health professional everyone's in the exact same bubble and we can start to move forward whereas most of the time it's the physios is here the strength coach is here? Athletes kind of in that middle area, and we're just trying to figure out yeah.
2: what it what everyone says. You know what I mean? Hundred percent. But you know what, man, I've noticed is even a gap. So I did um I did exercise science before I did my osteo degree, and I even noticed even though the exercise science degree was a very theoretical based degree, when I went to work with some strength and conditioning coaches, their knowledge of movement was so much superior than mine. My knowledge around physiology and biomechanics on the theoretical perspective yeah. was, was pretty good, yeah. but their practical application and how they would explain things was just second to none. Yeah. So even going from an exercise science degree or exercise scientist, then talking to a strength and conditioning coach, yeah. there's a gap, there's even a gap there. And it's funny actually, funny, a friend of mine, Actually, a colleague of mine now, the, the gym I work at, the owner. So a friend of his was doing an exercise science degree. Same thing. This guy knew everything about everything, physiology, whatever. But then when it came to movement-based application, he had no idea. So my friend, who's a strength and conditioning coach, he had to literally teach him, this is why we deadlift like this. This is why we squat like this. This is why our limbs have to be in position like this. And he he knew none of that. Yeah. But he could tell you everything about atp pp system anaerobic glycolysis Krebs cycle we could tell you everything about that but when yeah. it came to movement-based therapy he was just yeah the the knowledge wasn't quite where it should have been 100 100
0: so what's your what's your answer to that andrew you know for the allied health professionals and coaches listening how do you think um we can integrate each other
2: better yeah, you know, it's funny, on Instagram, I'm, I'm in this, uh, this group chat with a bunch of uh, strength and conditioning coaches all around Australia, and we talk about it a little time. I think, and look, this goes for every degree. I think there are a lot of wasted units in certain degrees. Like, for example, you have, in a semester of uni, you have what, four subjects, right? Two of those will be fantastic. You will learn all these things two of those would just be absolute shit and waste of time, mm-hmm. right? I feel like when it comes to the exercise science base of things, I don't know what it's like now, but I know when I did it, a lot of it was, it was theory and the theory was fantastic. I learned a shitload of stuff, but in terms of the practical application, how to move correctly, how to work. I mean, being in the lab and um—and Alex, I, uh, have, I've had a very good chat with, your friend Alex and colleague, Alex is about this. We had a great chat about this. You spend more time in a lab coat than you do in a gym. Mm-hmm. Right? So you spend more so you spend more time taking blood lactate levels, VO2 max, all that stuff, and not enough time. Okay, guys, this is how the this is how you deadlift. This is a hip hinge. Why do we hip hinge like this? What are the determinants of recognizing An effective hip hinge. What's the difference between a sumo deadlift and a conventional deadlift? How does a trap bar deadlift differ to all these other deadlifts? You you don't learn any of that stuff. You know what I mean? And I think that area is lacking in terms of an exercise science degree because those are the fundamental movements in a gym. How many people do you know who go to a gym who wanna learn how to deadlift? But even then, you think about everything you do during the day, you're picking something up off the ground. What's that movement? It's, it's a, a hip hinge, it's a deadlift.
0: Yeah.
2: You, go, you go to, you're in the garden or whatever, you're doing something, you go to squat. That's a squat, you know what I mean? But you don't, you don't learn that. You yeah. learn, oh yeah, let's put a big mask on your face with a tube that's going, you don't know where it's going and let's measure someone's VO2 max levels and their blood lactate levels. Even though that's fantastic, But how can you apply that unless you're working with an elite level sporting club? Yeah.
0: It's very clear why that is the case. We, We know it's like exercise science degrees, they're sold in the culture to prepare you to be a coach. But it's kind of one of the biggest lies about it because it's not designed to prepare you to be a coach or trainer. It's designed to make you... Uh, An excise scientist and prepare you for further study so you can be potentially a lecturer or even more so a researcher Because that's where a lot of it leans and that's where a lot of money is is in research At least from the university setting so it it makes sense why right? It's but it's still a problem and I think some universities are doing trying to do a better job with like strength and conditioning majors They're recognizing even this term of strength and conditioning, which is great but I think if you want to be um, if you want to be a coach and trainer, you know, exercise science degrees is just a foundation of theoretical knowledge. It's like just a couple of pillars. Like you need to like liaise in other areas um, to build that well-rounded skill set of, of a practical
2: skill set. 100%. And I feel like if they implemented a little bit more of that in the degree, yeah, then, it might, then the, the, the degree overall might be a little bit more effective, I think.
0: Absolutely. But then again, it's like, well... I think you think about degrees, and you guys remember when they'd ask you at the start of class, "I'll oh, put your hand up if you're from this area, if you're a nursing, or if you're a biochemist, or if you're a this or that." It's like, oh, oh, you guys aren't catering for nurses and coaches, and you're catering for like everybody under this umbrella. Like, oh, of course it's broad. Of course it's not specific. That's later on, because we can't do specific now. We have to be efficient, and efficient is putting everybody in this bucket of a health professional and trying to teach them effectively so you know i'm mad at it but i'm not mad at it does that make sense Yeah, (laughs) i understand
1: very true
0: (sighs) we got a question from matt whipper whiprick okay both you guys talked about the education around the client and around injuries and management is key but what key principles or specific learning points are really important to teach new personal trainers you know just to help give pts context in working with clients who experience pain and injuries
1: that's a good question and it's definitely a hard one to answer for or let's say pts because injuries pain discomfort can be quite complex and it does take time to understand exactly what's going on with pain, what's going on with certain discomforts, what, how do we need to progress forward from this? But I guess getting them to understand even the basics about certain injuries, um, understanding the basics of pain and how complex pain is, um, can be a very good starting point for a lot of PTs, a lot of early strength coaches, um, to understand, um, uh, what is, Okay, in the gym, if there is a little bit of discomfort or pain, and what needs to be maybe referred to someone that knows a little bit more um, as an allied health professional to maybe diagnose or find out exactly what's going on. And I feel that gets lost a lot because we see a lot of people that might come into that, even come into uh, allied health professionals sometimes with just DOMs that they just saw from starting training, and they just haven't felt um, that but before, had, but haven't been educated yeah. what doms are pretty much and what what's going to happen with these little niggles and and pains and discomforts where they don't really need to see us they can stay with their pt or their strength coach and just keep working through it Uh, but then that disconnect happens from the start right there so Mm -hmm. i think good education on the basics um and then progressing from there if they want to learn more i guess
0: do you have a resource like you know because as you know like Orphic, we coach when we train personal trainers from students to the personal trainer to certify yeah. them, how do we get there? Like, what do you what do you tell those guys um, from the injury management perspective? And I'm kind of branching off this question. So please, Andrew, I'd love to hear you about the first question. But Jordan, where do you... Is there a resource you have or like a, a couple of education pillars you'd recommend?
1: I don't know if there's a resource, resource as such. It's just... Yeah, I don't 100% know if there is a resource that I've used. It's just over the years of, of learning more stuff about injuries, about um, pain levels, about uh, pain science that I've just picked this stuff up. I think it's quite tough, and Andrew might be able to a- answer this better, but it's quite tough early on to to get people to understand about certain injuries, um, to get to get them to understand about uh, pains and discomforts. So it's, it's more about just a whole going through professions like um, osteo or physio that, that we learn a lot about that stuff. And I think that's what puts us apart a little bit um, and where you do need someone that's quite, you do need to have a referral to a good allied health professional uh, where you can learn a lot more about this. Even if it's having a mentor that's a, a physio or a mentor that's an osteo where you can start to uh, pick up a lot of this information and you can use it in your practice. Maybe you could explain that better. That's anyway. what you
0: did though. Like well, We talked about it on my podcast. We talked about how you got those mentors when you were younger and that taught you a lot before yeah, you
1: hundred percent, 100%. 100%. But I mean for, let's say, let's say for a PT or a strength coach, having a, a physio mentor, having an osteo mentor that can just give them those little things. Like I've got a strength coach mentor that, that helps me keep progressing through um, with, with that side of it.
2: So my response to the, the first part agree with what Jordan just said. Everything about pain education, how it's okay to be sore from trading. That's fine. I had a patient recently. Actually, it was very interesting. Um, I should say recently, probably about six months ago. Big power lifter. Lifts a lot of weight. And he was questioning to why he's always sore after he lifts a lot of weight. And when I say a lot of weight, I mean rack pulls 180 for seven, five sets. All right? Um, And again, it's that re-education of this is a result from exercise. This is what happens to our tissues. It's all a part of adaptation. So like Jordan just said, all education about pain and it's okay to be sore. It's fine. And trying to teach them that there's different types of pain. So they may be experiencing different levels of pain, different types of pain. And it's okay to be sore because actually recently I did a podcast with a naturopath and I was talking about pain and inflammation. Pain is not actually a bad thing. Pain is just, it's a protective mechanism. So if you've got knee pain, for example, it's like, okay, well, that's your body telling you, hey man, there's something going on here. Let's kind of have a look at what's going on here. So it's not a bad thing. Pain doesn't mean tissue damage. Excessive amounts of pain to the point where it's, almost debilitating, okay, there could be some tissue damage there. But educating the patient on DOMS versus debilitating pain, that's a big factor. And tying that in with how to help PTs kind of understand that, like Jordan just said, having someone else who you can kind of learn off and mentor off. Like Jordan, you said you um you've got a strength coach who's a who's a mentor to you. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So Having that, and even vice versa, to that. So, with my background, my colleague now, Daniel, who owns the gym I work at, so I learned a lot of my strength based knowledge off him in terms of movement, you know, all the fundamentals. I learned it off him. Whereas my theoretical side of the body, both exercise and injury rehabilitation, he learned off me. So, I think that kind of scenario that Jordan was talking about. It's the, it's the perfect scenario. You can't get any better than that because you're always going to be learning off each other. And I can almost guarantee you that that person is going to find out about external resources where they can learn to so like webinars, seminars, and they can say, hey, um, this person's doing a webinar on powerlifting. You want to come to that or vice versa. Hey, this person's doing a webinar or seminar on injury, injury rehab and exercise prescription. You want to come to that. Whereas if you didn't have that, your learning may be limited to a degree.
0: So you guys talked about, I'm, I'm trying to passing out the, the information here. So definitely pain science is definitely a key thing and the difference between like how much pain, discomfort, soreness, like defining those for the client and getting them to contextualize those. Um, what are some other principles that you guys think the early personal trainers need to know around rehabilitation and injury
2: management? rest is not rehab
0: oh absolutely
2: (laughs) tell him, andrew oh my goodness look 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 i still i still think rest is important it starts moving (laughs) rest rest is rest is still important and there's a lot of evidence to suggest that like muscle tendons especially because we got there's two different types of tendon injuries there's tendonitis and tendinosis right so tendinosis there's a factor in there to show that rest is actually important for a tendon in that component. So rest is still important. However, injury prevention requires appropriate external load yeah. in for pain management and injury rehabilitation. That's, that's an important factor. Rest is not rehab. Rehab, exercise is rehab.
1: 100%. And I guess a lot of them need to understand as well that and this is probably a lot of allied health professionals will need to understand that it takes time. Rehab takes time and you're not going to see changes in one session, two sessions, three sessions. They need to understand that you've got to do the basics right, do the basics for a while. That might start with some more isolated exercise and progress into a normal training period or training block, but it does take time. Any injury, any discomfort, any pain is not going to go away like that. Sometimes it does and we're like, we're doing this perfect, but other times it does take a lot of time, Uh, but just going through the basics, keep reassuring, keep empowering people, and you'll slowly get to where you need to be.
0: How do you get people buy-in in in that sense, in a world where people want shit like this, and it's like quick fix, quick pill, how do you get buy-in that patience long-term, more money, more effort? How do you get them to get into that process?
1: Good, Good communication. Tell them what the end goal is from the start. If, if, if you're going through a period where you're like, ah, it might be maybe three, four weeks and then you'll be good. Um, and then they get to three, four weeks and they're like, ah, I'm feeling the same as I was three, four weeks ago, then you've already lost them. But if you've got that good communication from the start as to say, this is what we've got to work on. This is what we've got to hit. And this is kind of a rough time frame that we might be able to get there in. But if you just keep hitting this and slowly yeah. working up the steps, slowly getting up that mountain, okay. you're going to get to where you need to be. So communication from day one, um, especially because, I, as, as I said before, I work with mostly ACLs, that communication from day one is super important. Because if it's not there, then they're going to get to all these different time frames and they're like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't trust this person and I'm going to go find someone else, pretty much. That
0: is so important. I think that's a mistake early on I made in my coaching careers that I didn't give, you know, we don't give clear uh, guidelines and stepping stones, right? Stepping stones towards the end goal. And you give them these little micro goals, you give them wins. Every week they can celebrate a win and feel better about their progress. I think that's so important what you just said, Jordan.
2: 100%. Also, I'm going to add to that as well. So part of that communication aspect is putting the question back on them. So like if they're, let's just say for example if they've got an injury and they want to get back to playing footy right you want to ask them how bad do you want to get back to playing footy if your determination is a hundred percent then that means you should be putting a hundred percent effort in to the rehab plan that i'm outlining for you in order for you to get back playing footy right if someone wants to get better but they're half-hearted about it but they don't want to put in the work during the week well then you need to explain to them well if you're going to put in half the effort then you got to expect this pain to prolong for an extended period i mean like for example if someone comes in because they got back pain from a from their desk job and you prescribe them some exercises some of them don't even want to do it some of them just want to come back and just get treated every week but but if, hey, if you want to do that that's fine but you can't expect this pain to magically go away yeah
0: you
2: know what i mean the, the work you put in outside the consult is what makes you better because mm-hmm. if you think about it we only see the person maximum one hour potentially a week or a fortnight it's not one hour a day
0: how do you guys manage maximizing adherence especially in a profession where you can't legally communicators as much outside of ours like for me might got my check-ins you guys as coaches might have check-ins how do you guys manage the accountability side to maximize adherence
2: I guess it'll just come back to if they really want an additional consult it'll just be through an additional consult either via telehealth or face to face I mean because there's so many rules around it it's very hard to work around it. You know what I mean? But again, like Jordan just said, it's that communication from the start. It's really explaining to him. If you want to get back to this, if you want to do something at this level, this is what you have to do. And if you don't do it, hey, I'm not your dad. You do whatever you want. But you got to understand that this is the result you're going to get.
1: 100%. Yeah, exactly what Andrew said. It's, it's quite different for me in the uh, working in the physio clinic compared to uh, the strength and conditioning side, because the strength and conditioning side, they've got so much to gain about getting back to getting back to sport. They, they want to be there so fast with the ACLs. They want to be there straight away. Whereas on this side where I've got people coming in with lower back pain from sitting at a desk or, or neck pain or whatever, um, they don't have. As much of they don't they want to get better, but there's no rush for them to get better because they they don't care as much or or it's it's not the biggest factor in their life. Whereas someone with an ACL, they wanna they wanna get back. They wanna go, go, go. So this side's so easy. This side is just that really good education from the start and telling them if if you do it out just exactly what Andrew said, if you do a lot more outside of this consultation, you're gonna get better quick. If you're just coming to see me once a week and we're doing some treatment, it's gonna take some time. And you are going to get better, but it's going to take some time. And just getting them to understand that is the most important thing, because if they want it to take time, that's up to them. If they want to get better straight away, that's also up to them. They just yep. got to put the work in.
0: Well, so you're managing expectations from the start. That's what I'm hearing.
1: Yeah, 100%. Yeah, put it all out straight away, because then everything's going to be out there and they know exactly what they need to do. If you kind of hide stuff from them and you say a little bit week to week, um they're gonna start to i guess second guess and and maybe end up going for let's say someone goes and gets a scan which most of the time that's the one thing i don't want them to do because then it's going to even slow them down even more because they're going to start thinking about this scan but if i tell them what to do from day one this is what you got to do i'm going to 100 get you better let's just slowly work 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 it's going to work
0: very good very systemized progressive and like yeah. I, you keep hearing the constants like constant communication and expectation um, management how do you guys I want to talk about communication because it's so relevant I think that's what the art of coaching and the art of being a health professional is we talk we know the importance of it but in the practical sense how do you guys manage your communication styles from person to person to person how do you stay adaptable how do you how has that changed over the years? the way you communicate?
2: Yeah, that's a, that's a good question, actually, Alex. Um, it's very, it's not very different, but it's different in a strength and conditioning setting than it is with an osteo setting. When people are coming to see you as a strength and conditioning client, they, most of the time their goal is to what, lose weight or to get stronger, whatever. Your communication style will be the same, but a little bit different. Whereas when it comes to osteo or chiro or something like that, your communication style, it'll be a little bit more empathetic. You'll be using knowledge so you'll be using communication in the sense where you're trying to integrate. So there's this model that we use, it's called the biopsychosocial model. We use different, different um, aspects of their life to try and determine why they are in pain where that might be biological, where it might be psychological, where it might be social, which ergo, the biopsychosocial model, right? Whereas when it comes to strength and conditioning, yes, the empathy is still there, but the way you approach it is a little bit different because it's a different setting. It's, it's kind of hard to explain, but I think the biggest difference in those two settings is that biopsychosocial model in terms of pain and exercise would you agree with that jordan
1: 100 percent. yeah 100 i guess the way you communicate it's going to be uh, just pretty much what andrew said it's going to be slightly different for every client it's going to be different in the strength conditioning setting compared to what it is in the clinic um and it's just it's just getting onto on their side early um and getting them to trust you if i walk in and and maybe talk to how i'll talk to a 15 year old um to a 60 year old it's going to be um they're not going to they're not going to want to be around me because they don't trust me they don't think i'm professional stuff like that compared to a 15 year old you can have a bit of a chat with you can talk about the footy you can talk about the basketball you can go down that that side of it and they're going to really buy in and get to understand you and know what you like to do whereas I guess you've just got to be quite smart with that because at the end of the day, if they trust you, they're gonna they're gonna get better. Mm-hmm. They're gonna get better. Um, where there's those clients that don't trust you, second guess you, they're the ones that are gonna move on, go to someone else because they don't feel like they're gonna start to improve.
2: Hundred percent. So, and there's also like your communication will also change. This is more. Of, this is both fields again, but probably more so in the um, in the clinic. When we when we look at patients, we look at what we call like orange and yellow flags. So if someone's got a lot of yellow flags in terms of like how they perceive their injury. So like if they if their injury, like based on assessment, if if we only think it's like a two out of ten, but they think it's like a seven or an eight out of ten and they really exaggerate it, well, your communication style with that person will be a lot different because their way of perceiving information is going to be a lot more heightened
0: mm.
2: as opposed to someone who will come in and just be like, oh, yes, you know, that's not bad. You know, mm. a bit of pain here and there, as opposed to someone like, oh, this pain is excruciating. It's a nine out of 10. I can't move. But when you look at him, it's not that bad. Like they're moving fine. So that's where you, your communication style, like Jordan said, you will talk to those people differently than you would to the more chilled Well, let's go deeper.
0: How, how how would you communicate? Because one end might be like, they might be the, the, the tough guy or girl who doesn't want to admit that they're in pain. And the other end, it's like, oh, the over character type, right? How do you guys then, let's go deeper. How do you communicate to them to not offend and, and, and to also respect that people feel what they feel? and perception is reality. So how do you guys go deeper on that?
2: It's just that reassurance. It's constant reassurance that an education on the, on the topic. So looking at, see with those sort of people, you're going to be doing a lot more, more biopsychosocial stuff. So you're going to be communicating with them a lot more than you're actually going to be treating. putting your hands on them, even though the hands on aspect will be or could be a potential benefit to their consult. But, for them it's the communication and it's how you explain to them this is what's happening this is why it's happening and it's going to be okay because Mm. usually with this sort of pain this is how long it takes and and if you do this this will be the result so it's more education empathy like i was talking about before and the constant reinsurance that's going to be okay that's that's those will be a lot more exaggerated in the consult with those sort of people than the more laid back person
1: mm. yeah good you, point. yes yeah, spot on that it's it's that reassur- reassurance early on and understanding how important the things we say is to our clients so what we say is probably going to be the most beneficial thing with those clients that are nine out of ten pain um, early on getting them to understand that they're going to be alright. We're going to get through this. We see this quite a lot, um, and we're going to get back to wherever you need to be. Whereas on the other side, with that guy that just comes in, he's got to shit back or whatever, and he's just like, "Oh yeah, I'm just going through it. I've got to, I've got to go to work." They're the ones that you've got to, you can, you can have a little bit more fun with, but you've got to also sometimes even hold them back. Yeah, they're going to be that person that even again I keep going back to ACLs, but you got some of those ACL guys that are like, "Yeah, this is fine. I'm going through it. I'm just going to start running. I'm going to start doing this. I'm going to start changing the directions." And they're <laughs> the ones that you've got to hold back slightly compared yeah. to that other side that is so scared to move that you've yeah. got to slowly push, educate them, reassure them, and progress through there. Yeah,
0: that's 100%. that's great. I think that gives two very good approaches into how you'd and you know it's great. I hear it again, like reassurance. Like th- that, is, seems so important to what you guys do, to what health professionals do. Is do you guys say that now is because you've you used to be the health professional who didn't understand how to do that, or you've seen things like that that have gone wrong? Like, how did you guys learn that that was such an important thing?
2: Um, I think um, I think just dealing with people for such a long time, you kind of just it kind of just develops in your life. I've, I've been a PT for almost eight years now, right? So I've, and I've worked with many, many different people, many different people. I was a boxing coach for a few years. I've worked with people in their forties and fifties who just want to exercise because their doctors told them if you don't train, you're going to die of a heart attack. You know, I've worked with people who want to get strong and power lifters. But it's funny because during my degree, The the biopsychosocial stuff, they were really implementing that all the time, all the time. And being in practice now, I can can see it. I can understand it. I can see how the different communication styles change Mm. throughout so many people. And like Jordan said, how you word things to these people can play such a big role in A, if they come back and see you, or B, how they're going to respond to your treatment methods. Very, very big. You know what I mean? I mean, there's evidence now that if if the person doesn't like you as a practitioner, if they don't trust your judgment, doesn't matter what you do, they won't get better. So, Alex, you could hate me as a practitioner, right? And I could treat your back, your lower back. I can do the same thing to you as I would to Jordan. But if Jordan likes me, Jordan's response will be 10 times better than yours. And if anything, yours will be the same. Hmm. Interesting
0: phenomenon. Hmm. How do you guys develop trust? Maybe what do you do with the clients who aren't trusting you as much? Because everybody's been there. You know, is it a case of where you have to realize maybe the client coach isn't a good fit? Refer you out to a different person? How do you guys manage that?
1: i just think it's it's trying to get onto their level early because most people you can get on their side. some take a lot longer than others but i guess that's the most important thing about being a coach or being an allied health professional is being able to adapt to every individual Mm -hmm. so it's finding ways where you're trying everything to to really get that that client that athlete on your side because as soon as you break that barrier down you're gonna, you guys are going to be working really well together. It may get to a point where, all right, this is probably not the best fit um, and refer to maybe a different coach, maybe a different allied health professional because you've tried everything and and you still want to be in communication with that person. So you're referring to someone that you trust and respect. Um, but most times, if you put the work in, you're able to break that barrier down, get on a pretty good um I guess, trust, respect um, type level with that client where you can start moving forward. But it's just, yeah, keep yeah. going, keep trying.
2: Yeah, Jordan hit the nail on the head there. It's that building the relationship with the person and the trust with the person. And you will find as the weeks progress, they may even, if they the more they trust you, they'll start to open up to you about a lot of other things. And then that's when you know, okay, this person, this person trusts my skills. They obviously trust me as a practitioner, as a person, like they will potentially get the best out of me if I keep doing what I'm doing.
0: All right. I think there's a lot in there for a lot of coaches and health professionals there. Mm. I mean, it, it's great.
2: Um, same, but but sorry, but same thing goes with the coach. If the person doesn't trust your skills and your your knowledge and your program, your programming, it's going to be very hard for them to do the program and excel in the program.
0: And do you think that at the end of the day comes down to just results? Just if they, and being a good person, a kind person, of course, having great character, but with that, just getting results one week at a time, two weeks at a time, one stepping stone at a time, that that is the key to the trust building or something else?
2: Yeah. Yes. Well, yes and no. Yes and no. But again, the, the results will come down. Again, same thing as a coach, man. You see your client once, potentially twice a week with coaching, right? Two hours a week. Now, their results, we know, will come from your ability to program, what they're eating, which is a big thing, and what they're doing outside of the session. Mm. So if they're getting results, not only do they trust you as a coach, but they're motivated enough to, keep going. to make the change. That's the difference. Whereas you can get someone who trusts your judgment, they can trust you till the cows come home, mm. but they're not motivated enough to do things outside, even though you're telling them to do it, which then mm. the result can vary.
0: Jordan, what do you think? Yeah,
1: and probably, probably the other thing to add there is when, when you are coaching someone, you're, you've got way more time with rest periods where you're just chatting, where you're getting to know the person yeah. than you actually are Recall. lifting. So, if if you're not having that rapport where you're having good conversations, you're getting to know each other, you're getting to know what that client likes and what they don't like, doesn't matter how good your program is, they're gonna feel awkward the whole time and probably not come back after a while. So, it's understanding those those rest periods are probably more important than the actual lifts, especially early on.
0: Amazing point.
2: 100%, spot on. Because
0: you can have the perfect program like you said. You can have that, and I think that's some That's a big lesson, I think, for, for coaches. You know, I know the students I'm teaching. Like, I'm telling them, yeah, we got to be efficient with our sessions. Yes, you got to communicate with your clients in between your rest periods. But you know, let's use any every minute efficiently. Give fillers. Give this. Give that. But even that can go too far sometimes. You'd be like, hold on, I need to see how you are. I need to actually connect with you on a human to human level and build that rapport and trust and connection because it's a personal uh relationship you develop so i just want to highlight that point point.
2: 100 but then sometimes you know there's that other side too when even during the rest periods yeah. and i'm sure you both have experienced this when the client doesn't want to speak or it's hard you try right. to start a conversation and they just don't mm-hmm. want it they just shut it down And it's like okay well all right, second set. Let's go. What do you, think you like, no, How do you like, manage
0: that? Whether that's maybe they're having a bad day, maybe maybe they're more introverted. Like, how do you? Manage that?
2: Um, I uh, it's it, me personally. I just try to instead of asking them like about their personal day or whatever, I'm saying, you know, oh, have you just general chit chat? Have you been watching any new TV shows lately? Or have you have you had this? I went to this restaurant the other week. Have you been there before? Like I try to steer it away from more their personal, like their like, work related, whatever, and try to more like general chit chat. You know what I mean? Sometimes it's worked. Sometimes it's really like I've really had to like scrap the bottom of the barrel in terms of things I could talk about. Um, but yeah, I mean, you just kind of it kind of you kind of you, you make it's one of the things you make it work. You make it work if you have got a personality, if you're outgoing, if you're a people person, you make it work
1: yeah so true yeah i guess that's quite hard because it it might even get to the point where maybe the first couple sessions you're you don't have too much communication you just talk about a couple key important things and and during your rest period you're getting them to do more mobility work or getting to do different stuff where they're not really talking too much you're just having that odd conversation where over the weeks and the weeks and the weeks that conversation starts to turn into a little bit more um and then by a couple months in, you're starting to slowly have good conversations.
0: Because yeah. so, they trust yes, you. They've opened very up. Very tough
1: one, though, to, to get to that point, I reckon.
0: Yeah. People got to be comfortable. And um, that takes time for some people. Every human's different, obviously. Got a question from our man, Jeremy Borzilla, who you may have seen. And it actually talks about some of the stuff we were talking earlier on with mentors that we touched on. Jeremy and this is obviously for both of you but interested to hear who were your mentors coming up through uni and through physiotherapy and through through Osteo like who were they for you and what did they teach you?
1: I guess um, I was quite lucky so when I was going through my exercise science degree, um, my partner's dad knew a pretty good physio in, uh, on the Gold Coast where I lived. Um, so I was hanging out with a physiotherapist named Tim Brown when I was still going through exercise science. Um, and he was someone that even before I started my physio degree, he was talking about uh, pain science and, and a, lot, a, lot, a lot about the, the pain side rather than just the hands on and, and going through, going through what we normally learn. So I already had that in, in the back of my mind before going into physio school. So I reckon that helped out a lot. And that's someone that I still talk to, um, still here and there, because he was such a big influence in my, um, in my early early physiotherapy career.
2: You, um, I never really had a mentor. Like I was quite self-motivated and self-driven to just learn on my own um i used to reach out and communicate with a lot of people like going through my uni my uni days um i used to do like obs we used to call it obs where you go to a clinic and you just observe a practitioner so i used to message certain practitioners and i used to go observe them see what they did just learn off them um but in turn and there was probably one or two there where i kind of caught up with a couple of times outside but in terms of a mentor i don't think i could sit there and say this guy was my mentor for an x amount of time he was great i'll kind of just my own my own mentor if that makes sense like i'm just very self-motivated to learn off different people and you know try and apply that to my own style of whether it be strength and conditioning or um or osteo you know what i mean
0: yeah and that's a great thing because there's many ways to do this right Mm. Oh
2: there's, yeah. Oh. there's many
0: ways for education pathways and now in the twenty first century, like literally. you can literally get a world class education right here. And yep. guess what, guys? We're trying to do it every Wednesday. How amazing is that? All these amazing <laughs> podcasts and pieces of education you can learn from all around the world. And that's what sounds like you, you you've done, Andrew.
2: Or do yeah, it. Yeah, well oh yeah, well do well, you know what? with the internet these days, there is no excuse to not learn of all different types of people. Mm. You've got journal articles you can read, you've got podcasts you can listen to, like you just said, you've got webinars you can watch. There's all different avenues. You know, even people at uni, all right? All right, you go to uni, fair enough, that's fine. But what are you doing outside of uni? Mm. Are you, A, are you studying what you're studying? Like, are you going over your stuff, which everyone should be? Or are you learning off other professionals? Like, for example, on Saturday, I'm doing a webinar. And I'd say out of the 15 people doing it, 10 of those people are students, which is fantastic. Because that just shows their motivation to learn and to better themselves as, pra- as practitioners. Love it. You know, we need, we need more of that. It's a big, big thing
0: absolutely that's good it's great to hear do you guys have favorite um uh education resources like um pod favorite podcasts for health professionals and 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 injury management or just general health um podcasts books uh yeah what do you guys something you're listening to or or watching or reading right now that's you'd recommend
2: so podcast um i listen to the atp podcast the atp project they're fantastic love them I also listen to occasionally, uh, they're called Barbell Logic on YouTube. They're, they're fantastic. Um, I'll listen to Joe Rogan occasionally as well. Um, books, um, I the, the most recent book I've probably got is this one here, which is also fantastic. I highly recommend people get that. They wanna learn how to squat and learn about joints and how squatting is amazing for our cartilage. Um, But I just try to revise many of my university notes as I can, as often as as I can. To be honest with you, man, like yeah,
0: it's good, man. You're using the big investment that you made. Why not? Oh, people just forget 100%. about it. They finish the degree and they go, like, "Oh, come done." It's like what?
2: But how? But how? I don't understand. You are a health. You are a health professional, right? <laughs> I don't know what your what your, your your hippocampus in the brain is like. You can read one thing and you can just forget about it. I don't even know. I don't. I don't know a human being who's like that. You need to consistently be revising this stuff, man. Especially when it comes to like what we do. Yeah. The most the the most consistent thing you're going to do in a practical setting, that's what that's what you have to be revising. Very important.
0: Well said, Mr. Radcliffe. Radcliffe Rehab.
2: Radcliffe Rehab. Um, a lot of a lot of
1: strength and conditioning and track and field stuff is kind of where I'm going at the moment. Yes. So probably podcast, uh, Pacey Performance podcast. Um, I think he's from England, but he's just got so many, I guess, a broad spectrum of, of a lot of different individuals that have come on from physios to strength coaches to uh, high performance managers all over the world. So basic performance podcast is, is super beneficial. Uh, and there's a lot that's like that, like even Altus, which is a track and field um, track and field, I guess, company in Phoenix. Uh, They got a pretty good podcast, but they got even better resources on their their online store. So Altis, A-L-T-I-S is um, amazing for anything, I guess, track and field based, uh, where a lot of it is going these days to a lot more involvement in sprinting and understanding technical side of that um, compared to just uh, just the main lifts in the gym as well. So a lot of, I guess, strength coaches, physios, osteos are starting to think more about the track side. Which is super important to a lot of rehabs. Um, Other than that, books, just a lot of different strength and conditioning books. Um, And then currently getting mentored by um, the Big J. Ellis, um, which has been really good as well. So this period's been quite good for me, I reckon, because I'm learning a lot. Um, Because business has slowed down, it's giving more time for myself to go over different things again and and stay on top of everything and progress my knowledge and listen to more podcasts, read more books. and go from there pretty much.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I think it's a good place to finish off. How are you guys using this time where you can practice a little bit, but not as much? It's up and down. How are you guys adapting during this period? What are you learning about yourself, about your business, about how you run? What are you, Yeah, what's, what's the standout over these last couple of months that you're taking away?
2: Well, with me, because I'm not working until the 30th of September. So, or even prior to this, so currently, I'm. I think what's so special about and I'm running it this weekend. Second thing is I'm learning how to play guitar, That's cool. everything about it. I also I played music my whole life. I try to play drums every day. All right, I train virtually every day. I try to read some of my notes every day if I can, um, and I try to if I can I try to listen to a podcast every day if I can. If I can, so I'm trying to, I'm trying to tick all those things off every day, and all of a sudden, ten am becomes seven pm. No. So it's like that's, that's the day. So I'm just trying to use this time as wisely as yeah. I can because I know if I was working flat out, I would, I'll probably be able only be able to do two of those things, yeah, as opposed to all of them.
0: Good for you. Good for both of you. I mean, it's like you either can be a victim, behave like a victim, or, or try and behave like a, a victor. And use this situation to come out better. And it sounds like you guys are leading by example in doing that. Do you guys have any parting thoughts, um, questions or asks of our audience or just where people can find you guys?
1: I guess... Um... Of the most important thing that we talked about today is that communication and how important that is, but also having that integration model. So if you are a strength coach or a PT, start to find an allied health professional that you can work with, that you can learn off, that you can mentor from and, and start that early. Because if you've got that trust and respect, um, that integration model is going to work really well and client results are going to improve from that as well.
0: Well, actually, to touch on that, how do you recommend actually coaches go about doing that? Because there's a million different physio, chiro, osteo clinics, like how, how would you recommend they find a good one? I,
1: I think the same way that, that we've all kind of done it is to just maybe from word of mouth or just calling up a clinic or just getting to know anyone is going to be better than knowing no one. So, I, I think just doing some research yourself, even if that's on social media or just through the internet, through Google. Just finding someone that that's in your area, uh, that you like their their bio or something like that. You think that uh, they're thinking similar things that you want you want to do, and just kind of progress from there. There's no perfect way; it's just trying everything, really.
2: For sure, hundred percent, hundred percent. I couldn't I couldn't have said it any better myself.
0: Any last uh, thoughts, Andrew, or just where people can find you guys?
2: Um, well, my Instagram account is take control underscore osteo my facebook page is take control p-e-r-f you can also uh, look up my website if you like take control performance.com and in terms of just based on what we were talking about today yeah i agree with jordan just how you communicate with your clients or patients is very important Um, that reassure if you're in a practical setting in terms of a clinic that reassurance and the um, education around pain is very important. It's just understanding, you know, there's so much evidence coming out about pain. It's it's ridiculous. And, you know, trying to educate people on, listen, pain is not a bad thing, okay? Pain does not equal tissue damage. And just because you're in pain, doesn't mean you need to have a neurofilm like m ms Yeah. Very, very important, you know what I mean? If you are in pain, for whatever reason it is, all right, consult your practitioner, mm-hmm. consult someone who knows about it. And then once they reassure you about it, do your best to try and True. take it on board and just forget about it. There's no point grieving over it. You know what I mean? Because that, that's a very, very limiting factor in terms of your recovery and performance.
0: Well, very well said. Very. Uh, is there a pain scientist expert resource you guys would recommend for people who want to dive deeper into that?
2: Or well, there's a textbook called Pain. Can't okay. remember who it's by. <laughs> i can't remember who it's by to be honest with you um during my uni degree we had a, a unit called pain and it was based off that um but yeah it's called pain and it's excellent it really dives in deep about how the nervous system changes especially as the person progresses to chronic pain yep. and how and how they perceive pain it talks about how people who who have lived in pain throughout their whole life and how they've they they just consider it as their daily it's their daily thing, like like you know how me and you are just talking like this, on a, on the podcast people people think of pain that way yeah it's it's pretty crazy yeah um, but you know it's it's fantastic I, I highly recommend awesome. it Jordan
1: yeah my the book that um, I recommend it might be the same one we could be thinking about the same one but this one's called explain pain it's by um, Dr Butler and Dr Mosley um, and it explains pain in layman's terms. We've got really good pictures um, to, to kind of talk you through everything. And it's probably one of the best books I've read about pain. And it's not only for the practitioner, it's also for the client. So, I'd recommend Explain Pain Highly.
0: Got it. Thank you, boys. And um, where can people find you, Radlev? Instagram, mate. Radlev for rehab. Uh, can we still get the merchandise? Or are they all sold out?
1: Nah, uh, a couple more teas. We've got a couple. To... of Go on Could, right here, mate. I'll show you. Oh, show
0: them. They are F fresh. Check
1: my housemate
0: made these. Bro, they are um, so slick. You want to shout him out? Who who made them?
2: Oh, look at that.
1: That's great. His name's Jimmy Newman. He's my housemate. Absolutely. Oh, Jimmy. Yeah. <laughs> Jimmy. Yeah.
0: Does Jimmy Newman have a, uh, a website or an Instagram that he does his graphic design on?
1: Yeah, I think it's just James Newman. If you go onto my page, he's he's, um, tagged in the um, photo that we did for the um, shirt as well.
0: Love it, Jimmy. Great job. All right, boys. Unless you guys got any last uh, anything you want to say, then uh, thank you both so much for coming on. And uh, I'll talk to you in a a sec, Radliff. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for having me me on, mate. Appreciate it. No problem. I'll see you guys later. Catch you later. you. Right guys, that is webinar Wednesday 19 with allied health professional edition we have with uh, my friend and colleague Jordan Radliffe and that's a, that's a great example of how me and Jordan integrate like I have been referring my clients to Jordan for feels like years at this point um, on and off and I'm often doing initial assessments with him as a compulsory thing so I can screen my clients through him, through his lens. And it's something we definitely uh, recommend you guys look at. Like Jordan's based in Moorabbin and and, and and Andrew's based in the Brunswick area. Also, Jordan's based in the Brunswick area too. goes back and forth. Like those are two guys that we can all like look to and, and like, hey, can I use you as my referral? Like if you're listening to this and you're a coach or a health professional, you don't have an allied health professional in your your corner, here's two great examples of them. And um, I can say it's definitely makes you think you don't have to do everything on your own, right? We don't have to be the expert in every single facet of human science. I mean, practically, that's gonna take decades, right? So before you get to that point, we might as well humble ourselves and work with each other in more unison, in more synergy. Right, we should always do that anyway, but especially now when when we don't have as much, uh, you know, uh, experience um, along all these topics. This is, you guys can go to orphegeducation.com, and you can see our webinar Wednesday is every week. We've had a bunch of different guests on, you know, everyone from the the Brett B's to the you know Carl Montgomery, Carl uh, Goodmans, and the Lockie Wilmont's to the Christian Woodfords. And um, every Wednesday, we do these podcasts live. If you guys want to know, be notified when we do them, just follow us on social media, post about it every Tuesday, or just put your name and email in the Orphic Education uh, box on our website. Um, All of these are on YouTube, Facebook, all podcast platforms. You guys can listen to them anywhere. I'm Alexander Emmanuel. If you want to find more about me, That's my name. Otherwise, I'll see you guys next week. Stay well, stay healthy, stay strong. And let us know if you need anything. And if you want to become a PT and a coach and you're serious and you're not looking for the quick fix, but you're looking for one of the most comprehensive courses out there, we might be a good fit for you. You let us know. Otherwise, I'll see you guys next week. Stay well.